This week's episode of This Is Only A Test is brought to you by the Tested Premium Member Community. It's thanks to you guys are out there, our best fans, who let us do what we do in recording this podcast and making some of our most favorite shows from build projects like SnapFit Model Kits to uh, special effects tutorials from Frankie Polito and in-depth investigations into uh, projects that scientists are working on with Kishore and Indre in Science in Progress. Check out our premium content library at tested.com slash premium. Hey, let's start the show. For Thursday, June 29th, 2017, welcome to This Is Only a Test, the official podcast of tested.com. Hello and welcome, everyone. How is everyone doing? Starting with the person immediately to my left, Jeremy Williams. I'll give myself a 7 out of 10, Norman. Oh, well, hopefully we'll get that to a 9.5 out of 10 in the next hour and a half to two hours. How about you, Kishore Hari? I'll be a 9.5 out of 10 out the gate, Whoa. so I can just coast. Let's, tur- let's turn that down to an 8 out of 10 right now. <laughs> let's, let's give us room to grow. If you start too high, then we're not going to get anywhere. Then it's just downhill from there. And how are you? Um, I'm doing pretty well. I would say also a 7.5 out of 10. Last yeah. week, if you listen to last week's podcast, I was half asleep for most of it. Now, you know, typically I'm about a quarter of sleep mm-hmm. through, through the podcast, but last week I was really tired. You had just flown in. Yeah, jet lag. I didn't realize how bad jet lag had hit me until I think the weekend. And until you heard Jeremy and I talking for an hour and a half, <laughs> you're like, wow. Whoa. <laughs> That'll do it. They're talking about CRISPR. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it's an uh, interesting occasion today. And, well, I guess uh, we'll start, start at the top. Today is June 29th, at least when people are listening out there. It is the 10-year anniversary of the announcement of the original iPhone. No, no. It's of the release. Of the release. The release. The announcement the was weeks ago. Was, was in January, I think. Then that means that 10 years ago today, I was recording Maximum PC Podcast. With your first iPhone? No. The day it came out. And then I, as soon as the podcast was over, I rushed out to the Apple store. I was producing the podcast from Chicago. And so... It was, a, I don't know what time of day it would have been, but the store was still open. Where were you And I on didn't, June 29th, yeah. 2007? I took a taxi cab. So you got the original one. I did, and then I got the refund like two months later. Why did you get a refund? Everybody well, everyone, Oh, that's right. I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, like bucks or... It, 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 yeah. It was a mea culpa because it was 800 or however much it was back then, $600 on contract. And it wasn't until after they renegotiated, well, they, it would be discounted after... Uh, contract or you can bait unlocked. Yeah, so they they did the. I guess you could hear Steve Jobs gritting his teeth as he made that announcement. Like it's <laughs> this, this phone is worth this much. I'm gonna uh, have to wait an extra five but, years uh, for my UFO campus. Um, did you didn't get the first iPhone, Kishore? Did you? I've actually never owned an iPhone. You've never owned an iPhone. So what, what was what was your world like in 2007 on June 29th? Were you you were 
I assume, aware of the iPhone's release? Were you interested? Were you in the camp that thought, no tactile keyboard, no physical keyboard, this isn't going to work? I was definitely in the where's the keyboard camp because Mm -hmm. I was big into uh, having keyboards on my phones as my phone graveyard in my office desk at home can attest to. Um, But you know what? Google can probably tell me where I was in June 2007. Oh, I was hiking in Yosemite, apparently. How, how do you know this? Photo, my Google Photos. Wow. Wh- okay. All right. Um, I also was working um, at Maximum PC with Will and... Recording a podcast. I, I guess I was on that podcast. <laughs> I probably was on that podcast. <laughs> my goodness. This is crazy. Uh, do you remember us talking about the iPhone 10 years ago? And, I mean, no, but I, we must have. Um I was, I remember I was, uh, I had a, like a Samsung flip phone. It it had a camera on it that was amazing, had no email, nothing. Uh, People didn't think about data plans the same way. Most people didn't have a data plan. They just had a voice plan for their cell phone. And, uh, but smartphones were around, obviously. People had uh, various degrees. They had Blackberries. uh, There was Windows Mobile. And I remember being on the edge of deciding whether to jump into buying a, a blasphemous iPhone or a Windows mobile phone, phone made by HTC. HTC had this phone, I believe it was um, the 8525 was the phone. I have a picture of it I've, I've hmm. pulled up. And it was a, it was a touchscreen, a non-capacitive touchscreen, resistive touchscreen, and you slid the, 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 the phone and tilted it up and to reveal the uh, the keyboard underneath, which back then, ten the, years ago, I thought this was great design. That sounded like the that sounds like the Palm Pre was like that too. Yeah. Oh, but you I, slid it the wrong. You, you're talking about sliding it vertically. Yeah, yeah. This is landscape. Oh, geez, so weird. I because I was envy. I had a Palm Trio. I think that was '08 or so, and so I was envious of the of of that design. But this is an example of one of the designs that Steve Jobs would have put up on the screen when he unveiled the iPhone. It's like, this is the reason why we need the iPhone. There's so many buttons on the thing. Well, once, but most of the buttons are for a keyboard. It's, it's not like the, the right. buttons were for, like, you know, power and mm-hmm. just power and sleep and, and um, you know, a Windows button or something. Did you um, get it? I, no, no, I, I got the iPhone. You went with the iPhone. And I, it was a last-minute decision. I scrambled, and I found a retailer. You know, it was possible on day one in 2007, I think, because the price was high, one. And two, people were unsure of this new platform. Um, but even though I bought the phone, I couldn't use most of its functionality because I didn't have a data plan. And so I needed to wait a couple of days, sign up for a, a singular back then, and get a data plan. And it really was that capacitive touchscreen, the instant response in, in scrolling. It was and the first time we ever, like, I had ever experienced multi-touch. Like we, right. Microsoft had the Surface demo that they had shown only on the like the internet. I mean, no one ever actually saw one of these things. And when you say Surface, this was the table. It was the yeah, the big uh, rear projection table, uh, which is a concept that has now been adapted for whiteboards, essentially smart mm-hmm. whiteboards. But to actually be able to pinch and zoom, that was a new experience at the time. Yeah, that's cool. G- given where we are, ten years later, I mean, when you hold, if you, if we had an original iPhone here. It wouldn't look dramatically different from our current phones. It's I have a, an original iPhone at the office. Oh, it's, we should it's, have grabbed it. It's, oh, I should have grabbed it's, it. It's yeah. thicker. It's yep. a little smaller in terms of overall size. But, I mean, it has. it basically looks the same as our phones right now. 
slower data rates by maybe like five, six times. And I think that was the heart of the lawsuit that uh, Apple had uh, against uh, Android. And and that the debate was whether this rectangular screen design was going to be an inevitability in terms of product design or was that something that was patentable? Um, Yep. I I have to say, maybe I'm being cynical. I'm surprised we haven't iterated farther, given like how important of a touchstone that was ten years ago, to where we are now. Or maybe I'm just being somebody needs to play the Louis C.K. We're flying through aluminum tubes clip. I mean, I I think in terms of physical design, material science, and battery, like we're, we've done significantly. The screens are much higher density, higher refresh rates. You know, uh, thinner. Um, lighter and, and they've been able to pack so much more, so much more electronics in there. I think, but the real change has obviously been the software and the infrastructure around smartphones and how the internet has really adapted itself to cater to, to yeah. mobile devices. Um, but we're getting ahead of ourselves because that's all technology news, uh, and we got to start off with our first segment, which is pop culture news. Have you guys seen Glow yet on Netflix? I haven't. I really, I, I, I just finished uh, House of Cards on Netflix, oh, wow. and I regret it. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't bring myself to watch House of Cards. There's too many, and like, I, I feel like CNN is the realities of CNN is is probably more interesting than House of Cards. Well, you watch TV point. for escapism, yeah, and something that's a political drama. Uh, they have to go even crazier than what's happening in the real world. And at some point, it feels like everything, the plot doesn't matter. It's just like, well, here are some really bitter people um, acting really well on screen, doing terrible things. Uh, Uh, Glow is a totally different uh, uh, kind of show. I mean, it's Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling is what it stands for. Uh, And it's an 80s show um, uh, about female wrestlers that is... Amazing. I wasn't the biggest wrestling fan, but when I was like, you know, about 10 years old, I'd watch the WWF like every every Saturday morning. So correct me if I'm wrong. This is based on a true story. Yep. There's actually a documentary that inspired the show and Glow, the uh, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. Is that what it is? Or glamorous? Yes. Glamorous or go- gorgeous. Uh, they uh, they were created as a as a as a indie league um, to mostly be mm-hmm. like a. Um, like, did they actually have a, were they taken seriously? Were they, was it just like a sideshow thing? So I don't know the actual history of, of the, of the league itself. The, the show is basically, that's the premise. I've only seen episode one so far. Um, it's been, it's been really great. It stars Alison Brie, who I think oh, is super underrated yeah. as a really wonderful actress. From Community, Mad Men. Yeah, Community especially. I think that was one of those shows that, uh, will stand the test of time as one of like the best sitcoms of the two thousands, mm. um, but uh, but anyway, this is a hoot. Gorgeously, <laughs> like, it's absolutely so much fun. And if you're the type of person who says a hoot, then you may like this new Netflix show. Well, maybe I'm Gorgeous in, Ladies of Wrestling. Maybe I'm just in the in the afterglow uh, because I went on Saturday. I went to a underground wrestling match, a real life one. What? That was amazing. I drove out to this town called Knights in California to go to this thing called Hood Slam. 
and basically nights in California is like an hour and a half from here, like in the deep, deep East Bay. And this like only bar in town had a backyard and they set up a wrestling ring in it and all these characters came out. And it was some of the most fun I've had at a live event Characters? in years. Wait, yeah, I mean, they're so over the top. So Drugs Bunny is one of the chief characters. And, um, are they wearing masks? They, like, yeah, like, they had masks. Like They had like the, the faux European guy versus the American, like, you know, USA, USA type. Um, they had a U-Haul match. So they loaded the ring in from a U-Haul. They had a U-Haul match where the point of the match was to lock the other person in the U-Haul. <laughs> That's how you won. <laughs> it was amazing. How how was the crowd? Was it was it underground wrestling like like you walk walk into a warehouse and you have to say the password? No, or... I mean it, it was it was a there wasn't that many people there. It was like a hundred. Maybe about a hundred people, maybe a little less, but oh, that's good they do regular yeah. shows in Oakland, and so I, I thought it was super super fun. And I had I had gone to a wrestling event at Dragon Con as one of my sort of favorite things that I did last year, and uh, and this totally lived up the hype. I encourage if you have like amateur wrestling in your town with these types of characters, it's it is a hoot. How did you find yourself there? Uh, I went with a couple of friends that had gone before wow. to the one in Oakland. All right. It was pretty great. But Glow, Glow, especially for you, Jeremy, as an a- avid yep. 80s fan. I'll watch it. I, uh, now that I see the photos of the haircuts, I'm gonna, I'm into that. <laughs> the haircuts did yeah. it for you. Did you see anything? What? Oh, I, I saw Cars 3 finally. It took me a week. Usually I'm a first weekend kind of Pixar guy, but I finally saw Cars 3. Have you guys seen that yet? No. No, I'm super not. interested. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think Cars 2 burned. Like, one, Cars was... It, it was divisive. To, to, uh, kids cars loved it. Too? The cars, I think. Oh, um, yeah. So a lot, a lot of the over-the-top personalities. Um, well, as we said before, cars is unique because there's no bad guy. Like it's the ego. Mm. It's it's you know it's just Lightning McQueen's inner demons that mm-hmm. it has to fight with. Um, and so it's a, it's a nice soft movie in that way. And Cars Two is definitely bad guys. You know, it brought the whole James Bond thing back. But the Cars Three pretends like Cars Two never happened. Huh. And it's, it's still John Lasseter. I don't know. It's not John Lasseter. Oh, he didn't. He didn't know. direct it. I don't think. Interesting. Um, I, I should, um, look that up. But um, okay. it's. I, I'm. I, I'm kind of. I would encourage you guys to, you know, check it out. But it's. It's not the best Pixar film ever. It's got a good ending. Okay. But man, it's. It's just kind of slow. Does it open its way to the, uh, to another another Cars I, movie? I mean, I, I don't think it's necessary. No. Yeah. I mean, no. I think they they kind of conclude it well. We've had three Cars movies, three Toy Story movies, yeah. and a fourth one in the works, and yet Incredibles 2, still a year away at least. T23 is coming up. Brian Fee was the director there of Cars go. 3. Interesting. So you recommend it? No. I mean, I, you know, I, <laughs> it doesn't come. It's, it's, it'll be a, a Netflix watch. If you it, stick with it and you're, in, you're into it uh, to the end, it's got a good ending. It concludes well, but the it's just a little plotting and slow. Sounds mm-hmm. like it's a victim of Pixar's success. Tell me how like much... Like it doesn't live up to the other ones. How much Mater is no. in this? Uh, Mater's in it. Mater's in it. A big uh, part? No, not not like Cars 2 big. Okay, all right. No. It's mainly Lightning McQueen and a new character. Okay, interesting. Is it just like Talladega Nights? Tell me it's just like Talladega Nights. It's not... No, I haven't actually seen Talladega Nights, but it's you not... You should watch it's a back-to-back not, Talladega Nights, <laughs> it's Cars not a, 3. It's not like that. It's not a comedy like that. Oh, Okay. Um, this weekend, I uh, met up with Will and Gary and, and their kids, and uh, we saw Totoro. 
on the big screen. My oh, yeah, big screen. Totoro. Is that a new transfer or anything? It's not a new transfer. I think it's just in, in a celebration of its anniversary. They're doing a Ghibli Fest, cool. um, and they're playing all the Studio Ghibli films uh, once a month, I think. Um, Does it resonate with the kids? It was all kids. It was cool. uh, it was like parents and kids in the audience. It was so interesting to watch it. Like, like you turn into a... 10-year-old or, you know, a five-year-old when you're watching this in a room full of giggling kids. And, you know, it's, it's at parts, of, if you haven't seen it, it's, it's, it's a little dark. It's a little, there's, there yeah. are feels in it. Um, uh, but there's so much wonder and joy. It's not a long film. Either. We, we talk about cult classics for adults. I feel like Totoro is the cult classic for kids right now. Like, it is super popular amongst my kids' friends. That's funny. And so, but not universal. Like, some of them are, some of those films are dark like and i don't well, like surreal for yeah. sure so they take a while to to understand uh so this is the disney version in terms of disney does the distribution i think disney has the uh, u.s rights to do the the dubbing for uh, totoro but i read this story uh i want to say um yeah it was on kotaku um, earlier this month, and I didn't realize this. I, I might have been cognizant of it subconsciously, uh, but there are two versions of the U.S. film My Neighbor Totoro. In what way? Like a dubbing kind of? Two dubs, hmm. yes. Um, before Disney got the rights uh, to, to distribute, uh, Fox Studios did the U.S. dubbing and had uh, different voice performers. So the current Totoro, the one you'd see in theaters when you buy in the Blu-ray, I believe has Dakota Fanning and Elle Fanning that do the voices, and they do a great job. Um, they, they sound perfectly appropriate for, for, the, for the sisters. But there are YouTube videos you can dig up, and you can hear the comparisons, and there's a slight different performances. And a lot of people growing up in the 80s, the film came out in 88, I think, um, 80s and 90s, watching that that old U.S. dub version, that's the version in their head. Oh, so it's imagine if you were watching um, like a what's a, a great animated film, uh, Lion King or something in the 90s, and then suddenly you watch Lion King in theaters today and it was not was no longer Jonathan T- Taylor Thomas's voice and it was some other voice. And, and you're like, it'd be weird. That's, something's wrong. Something's here. wrong, exactly. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was the same translation? Sa- the words were the same. That's interesting because when they, Akira had... Um, two different versions done and they actually did a retranslation for the blu-ray i think and that was far improved it made, made the story gave the story a lot better context did anyone show up in costume no one showed up in costume ah oh, come on come on army of Todorai. <laughs> <laughs> um also like for some reason they have to get famous people to do the voice totoro the character itself doesn't see grunts and like growls uh and they they got frank welker to do the voice he did scooby-doo why? <laughs> he did yeah. Scooby. I mean, oh, yeah, that guy. Yes, <laughs> is the also the voice, the now official canonical voice of Totoro in film. Wow. Uh, I was also getting over uh, some jet lag and, and uh, Danica sick this this week, so we watched some bad films. Um, we watched two bad films. I want to give a shout out to <laughs> one is uh, that have redeeming qualities. Uh huh. The Great Wall. No. <laughs> the Matt Damon, which is terrible. I'm sure the one redeeming quality is that the costumes that Weta made for this film are fantastic. That's, I believe that. Is it better than the South Park episode where they have Mongolians on the other side of the wall in South Park? Probably not. No. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's a new movie, right? I mean, just a couple years old. Last year. Yeah. It was a big budget film. A great director, uh, Zhang Yimou, I think. And it's mostly English, but a lot of like um, Asian stars in this film. Huh. Um, but the film is, the plot is terrible. Some of the plot mechanics are real bad. Matt Damon's acting is sound, he's this terrible Oh, accent. No. He sounds like they, they, they play it as him as like a like a, a crusader, you know, from from the from the West that comes to China. Um, and uh, but the costumes are wonderful. And while watching the film, I, I looked online to see if I could find auctions for the costumes, and no one has any any uh, words on um, where these costumes may have gone because they made they must have made hundreds of them uh, for the film. Okay, so great. While watching on mute, got it. Yep. Yep. Um, the other film, Power Rangers. Oh no! Come on, Norm. Now, it's you don't have. I don't think you have to l- appreciate the old Power Rangers like this new one. I think I thought the new Power Rangers was actually pretty decent. It was not nearly as bad as I thought. And there's one moment when they first um, morph into the Power Rangers that I got chills because the score <laughs> for this movie I thought was fantastic. Did it have arpeggios? It had arpeggios. It got me, as I was watching this, <laughs> I'm it. like, ooh, this reminds me of Tron Legacy. <laughs> it had like a very Tron Legacy score. Um, I don't know. I, I, we does have, that we get can't you, play it right now. Does that get you every time? Anytime yeah. arpeggios show? Oh, yeah. It, and, and, then it, and then I started Googling, like, what is it about this, this chord progression that gets me, that, that does something for me? And it's like the same thing in Stranger Things. And I sent Jeremy a link. There's a, a YouTube channel for Reverb. You tweeted were, it, right? Yeah, yeah. They, uh, they review um, uh, you know, instruments and, and synths and uh, synthesizers. And they did this breakdown of the Stranger Things theme using uh, what's essentially, the, I think, the, the equipment that was used to create it. And it's a really cool watch. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. Arpeggios. There you go. I just, I just get chills. I got chills every time. <laughs> I, I'm up to an eight point five now. <laughs> All right, uh, back to the ten year anniversary of of the iPhone. You know, there's going to be a new a new iPhone. This fall, we all anticipate it being announced in September. Uh, no one knows whether it's going to be called the iPhone 7S or the 8, and a lot of people think this might be just might be called the 8. Um, but there are now increasing rumors and uh, speculation about what this phone is going to look like and what its features might be mm-hmm. now that we're past WWDC and iOS 11 uh, and its features being announced. So um, there are a couple photos, and you know. You always got to take these things with a grain of salt. There's a you know some tweeted photos of what looks like what may look like the back of one of these phones. And what's most uh, unique about this design is that it looks like this is going to be a a non plus size phone with a plus size screen. So about the same form factor as the iPhone seven or six mm-hmm. that 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 size, but it will also have two cameras. So the iPhone seven. Plus, right now has two cameras. You have your portrait mode, fifty millimeter lens, and as well as your twenty nine millimeter uh, equivalent lens. Um, and they are left and right oriented. And it looks like, according to these rumors, uh, that the phone uh, will have two cameras, but will be vertically oriented, top to bottom. 
um, which I'm not sure someone who's you know who studies computer vision or uh, is a success it's another two um, someone who who studies uh, uh, AR reach out let us know if there's any benefit to that to to room to, to AR to depth sensing basically. Um, the what, cameras to, to vertical versus horizontal. Vertical versus horizontal. What, can you imagine any reason why there would be? I mean, I realize that the horizontal matches human configuration, but there's no reason mm-hmm. why I, I see depth just as well if I turn my head sideways, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it could be the, how how people hold the phones, right? If you most people hold phones at an angle, right? So if you pick up your phone, everyone can do this at home. You hold your phone. Rarely do you hold your phone perfectly. Um, perpendicular with the floor. Yeah, you're mostly tilting it down to face up to you, or kind of facing it out to the world. Now, because of that angle, you're gonna get some natural distance. Like you're with a wavering angle, you're gonna get more information. You're saying one lens will be cameras. closer than the other. Oh, and they'll always be subject. adjusting. So yeah. as they gather information and map out the world based on depth, mm. you're gonna get more variance uh, that way. Well, I mean, according to the Apple keynote, and I believe some of the videos that have come out, uh, surface online since I since the beta went live for ARKit for ARKit is that it works with one camera. It will also work with one hmm. camera and actually quite well. The, that's what a lot of the, these video demos have shown. Um, I, I don't know if like right now also the portrait mode on the iPhone works in people shooting in portrait orientation. I don't know if anyone really shoots portrait mode with the, the fake uh, bouquet in landscape. Mm. Most of the photos I've seen have been in portrait. And I don't know if ARKit encourages people to use their phones in portrait or landscape. Hmm. Like, I don't know if that's going to matter. Because obviously, if you have the camera stacked vertically, but you encourage the apps to be run landscape, then it's just going to be side by side as opposed to top and bottom. Um, the other thing that le- lends some credence to this design, these design rumors, is uh, there are many manufacturers overseas in China that make iPhone cases, and they have their production pipelines to prep for iPhone 8 or iPhone 7S cases well ahead of the phone's launch. And so Motherboard did a a story where they reached out to several hundred iPhone case makers, and those case makers have already released designs and have already released their wholesale prices for what they think will be the uh, the case that fits a new the new iPhone, and they have like guarantees, like they have their insider info. So motherboard asked, "How do you? How can you be so certain?" And they were very vague about it. But um, you think they they get that much of an advance notice no, from Apple? They don't. They Apple don't. gives them no notice. Yeah, like okay. Apple said this numerous times. Like they mm-hmm. they are upset that they're getting these leaks to begin with. Apple has nothing to do with it. I think it's all leaks. Uh, Or it could be very well that it's like these fake photoshops of phones that then spur, that go viral within the the case-making community. And then all all the the CAD designers overseas start mocking up um, cases based on, you know, Photoshop phone phone photos. Yeah. So there's not going to be an 8 Plus? Is that what you're implying? Well, the longstanding rumor has been that there will be a very high-end, high-end iPhone, higher-priced one, maybe like hundred to two hundred dollars more than uh, a premium like a iPhone, thousand-dollar phone, then? or make a thousand-dollar phone. And this was the one that will have the the minimum bezel, uh, all the features, the big screen on the small form factor, and that would be called, you know, some something. And then there would also be your standard, um, you know, seven S, seven S Plus, or eight hmm. and eight Plus. Hmm. 
um, in addition to that. I, I think some people still like having a physically bigger phone to hold. And even, you know, I've used uh, now the, the new LG, um, used the, the, the GS8 uh, a couple of times, seen it in person. Like, those screens are big, but the perception isn't always that the screen is big um, because the phone itself isn't so big. You'll get adjusted to that, though, yeah. over time. Yeah. I don't think it'll take long either. Um, any other news out of Apple, though? Um, yeah, so, Jeremy, you talk about some of these uh, ARKit videos. So developers now have access to ARKit, and they're creating some small apps that you can run on any any modern iPhone. And some of these try to demonstrate how accurate ARKit is with one camera. So you can draw a virtual ruler, for example. And I've seen videos where people pull the, the virtual ruler alongside a, a real ruler. Tape and measure. Ta- a tape measure. And it gets matched up, you know, up to four feet. It's it's uh, it's accurate. It's a little bit off, but it's impressively accurate. Right. With, with one camera. Um, a lot of these videos don't do heavy t- taxing work on the on the depth sensing, they're not like moving Z depth very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is one video where uh, they showed like um, a model airplane floating in the middle of the room, and then the person walked out of the room, walked, did a lap around their office, and went back in the room. And the airplane was in the exact same place. And this is stuff that's going to be really important for for AR, not just on phones, but also in in, um, in terms of like pass through AR, mm-hmm. um, where we know that that pass-through AR, the positional tracking doesn't necessarily need to be as precise as in VR because the world is already going to be locked in and it, it makes the virtual objects, even some fuzziness in that location, forgivable. Uh, so I, I, I think it's interesting. I think we talked about it last week that we think that this is all paving the way for Apple to do its own um, AR device at some point, whether they're goggles, whether it's handheld device, some type of pass-through device. Uh, and they just bought, uh, acquired a company that specializes in uh, AR and eye tracking. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, watching these videos actually makes me excited for just the raw iPhone AR capabilities more than I was before. You know, just being able to measure uh, anything in your, in your house using this tape measure device, it looks pretty convenient. The IKEA app that has been more or less announced they're going to allow you to see what furniture looks like actually scaled to your I think that's a really great utilization. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, the, it's one thing if you can just overlay your mm-hmm. furniture on the world, but if it actually fits to scale, that's something entirely different. Has anyone done any testing on how, um, how battery uh, heavy, how processor heavy these, these apps are? I mean, even if you have your camera app open, and if you're not recording video, but just running the, you know, running the video through the uh, iOS image processing, that drains your battery pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, the big news this week is the the SNES Classic. I'm surprised this you're not it. in line right now. <clears throat> I know. If you want to, where? Get one. Well, I don't know where I can get in line. Tell if you can tell me where I can guarantee. If I get in line now, where I'm guaranteed to get one on launch day, uh, I'll do it. Um, but it's going to be released this September. They're like the NES Classic. There will be two. It'll be uh, region-dependent versions: a stylized one for the U.S. that looks like the SNES that we had, and then a European one for the Super Famicom and uh, Japan. Um, and there'll be 21 games. So you guys look at the list of the games. Yeah. There's a uh, Super Mario World, of course. You got your sure. Star Fox. You got your Mario Kart, Contra Three. Which this I'm is all great. For. I'm not looking for those yet. I'm yeah. waiting for the one game I'm looking for. 
Keep going. <laughs> uh, well, hold on. Let me pull up the list. I don't have the list yet. Well, oh. the big news is it has a game that's never been released before. What? Yeah. What game is that? Star Fox 2. Dos. Oh, that might make it worth it then. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't even know. I didn't even bother checking to see if this had already been leaked to the emulators. The, so I think the word is that, yes, people have played Star Fox 2. Okay, uh, but never officially. But never officially. And it's weird because the Star Fox 2 that comes with the SNES has to be unlocked. You have to yeah. play through a level of Star Fox 1. Not which much. That first level is, is great. It's easy. Um, but you have to play that, and then, and then you get access to Star Fox Wait, 2. Did you, but did you not say Link to the Past, that Zelda game? Is that uh, going to be no, on there? It's on there. Yep. Ah, uh, see, that's what I was looking for. That is my favorite Zelda game. There's F-Zero, Kirby Superstar, Kirby's Dream Course, Mega Man X, although I wish it was X2, um, Secret of Mana, uh, Street Fighter 2, Turbo, that's important, and Super Castlevania 4. Super Ghost, yeah, Ghouls and Ghosts. These are all, like, if you collect Red Nintendo Power back in the in the 90s, these were, like, the covers of every single issue. Did you? When this, oh, yeah. Totally. It also comes with two controllers. No one's, yes. no one's made a big deal out of that. So the price first, is, first one didn't. Price is a little higher, right? It's 80 bucks right. for, for the SNES Classic. Uh, it does come with two controllers. I think it's going to be a great value if you do the math. It's four bucks a game. I don't know how often you're going to play all the games, but what you really, and of course you could emulate this stuff. Um, you could build a, a main cabinet, but a lot of the appeal, there are I think two big appeals for the NES Classic that people didn't expect. One, the interface was really great. Yep. The plug and play, the menu system, wonderful. And two, of course, it was ended up being really easy to hack. Has a USB port on the back, which right. if you plug into your computer, there's something on GitHub that allows you to put any game you want on it. Absolutely. Including SNES games, by the way. Yeah, because it has the processing power for yep. it. So the question really is, Outside buying this form factor that you get for the SNES Classic and something that no one has answered is whether it resets the same way. Like <laughs> the, the, uh, the purple toggles, like is, are those spring-loaded? Right. Um, is whether it'll be hackable. I'm going to say no yeah. because that had to have taken Nintendo by a surprise how quickly that happened. So you think no meaning it'll take longer, like it'll never be happen. It'll never happen? I don't know. If it's internet connected, then that's going to put... I mean, obviously, it'll be hacked. It'll be But hacked. I don't know if it'll be as easy to do as... Is, as so this one is ones. internet connected? Uh, no, it doesn't say that. I'm just saying if they're smart, they would make an internet connected. I don't think they, they would. Dude, These are so, stuffers. there's so much money to be made in DLC. They could have had new game packs every six months. That's what the Switch is for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The... What... Uh, how are we skipping over the big thing? Like, oh. which is, are they going to make enough of these? Oh, well, they say they're going to increase production significantly over the last one. But, you know, everyone's excited to get in line somewhere. You could, you can go on eBay right now and pay up to $390 to quote-unquote guarantee a SNES Classic on day one, which Horrible. is absurd. Don't, Horrible. don't do it. You know, it, it, with tax, with shipping, it's going to be like 100 bucks, which... You have to ask, like, is it worth it? If you have a NES Classic and you already have hacked it to put SNES games on there, do you really need this? Yeah, but nobody has a NES Classic. Like, we happened to get one luckily off of Amazon because we were in that five-minute window, but nobody got one. What it is, it's the perfect price point for Christmas. That's what this is. Yeah, Yeah, this is... It's not a stocking stuffer. Hundred bucks is more than a stocking well. It's stuffer. yeah, sure, sure. But with the price that consoles are at right now, this is much more, you know, acceptable. The only thing that makes me think it's the same platform and it will be e- just as easily hackable, possibly, is because it's coming out so quickly after the last one was taken off the market. You know, it's less than a year. 
it takes a long time to iterate and get these things fabricated if they're right. going to actually do a, a true revamp with DRM and possibly Wi-Fi. So we've gotten the NES, we got the SNES, we, Sega announced their pack that was on mobile yeah. uh, that we talked about last week. So are we going to go... Are we going to keep seeing this iteration? N64 next? We're going to get some GoldenEye action I think that becomes year. less appealing. I think sprites, there's so much... I yeah, where's the end of the nostalgia train? Yeah, I think SNES. Uh, yeah, I think SNES too. I would, I would think 16-bit's the end of the nostalgia train too. Yeah, I mean, there's something about sprites that just have a permanence that they always will look good. Well, they scale better, yeah, I think. Yeah, exactly. You're not yeah. trying to create... 3D realism. Textures on, yes, you can get anti-aliasing, but GoldenEye on HDTV does not look good despite those mods. Okay. No. And doesn't play well either. Yeah. 2D, 2D platformers, RPGs. I wish there was Mario RPG. No Chrono Trigger. Oh, well, if, then how are you going to find in a game with the Power Glove inside of it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that, maybe that's a thing. Mini Power Glove. <laughs> Mini Power Glove Classic. What do you mean Mini Power Glove? I don't know. It's like they're all mini devices. For small hands. (laughs) (laughs) You don't actually put your hand on it. You just press the buttons on the outside. Uh, No Super Scope on this. God, the Super Scope is weird for SNES. Um, I think I'll want one. I think it it is kind of pricey when you think of like everyone who wants a Switch who doesn't have a Switch yet, right? And if, if you're looking to buy a Switch for yourself... This Christmas, you know, Nintendo says they 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 have not they never uh, artificially constrained supply, but you know the Switch is three hundred bucks plus plus games, and this is going to be eighty games. You could buy you could buy Switch plus Zelda or Switch plus Super Mario Odyssey, and not buy the SNES Classic. Mm-hmm. Has anyone checked on prices of NES Classic on on eBay? Gone up or down? No, it's got to be high. See, here, here's a question: If the SNES Classic comes out. And it is hackable, and people do hack because it's the same software, mm-hmm. uh, and it's the same hardware. Let's assume. Yep. Right. Uh, would you rather have the NES form factor, and have that as your go-to box that plays whatever games, or the SNES form factor? Well, okay. So personally, I only, I never owned a SNES. I skipped 16-bit, so I, I went from Atari and NES and Sega Master System to the N64, so I completely skipped 16-bit. But so you have no interest in for, these For games. me, the NES Classic is where it's at nostalgia-wise. The problem is, even if you hack it and you try to play SNES games on it, you don't have enough buttons. Well, you can always use a uh, 8-bit moto. Uh, yes, you have to get a new controller. But the SNES is sort of backwards compatible, so like, you can play anything. That's right. I'm going to go out there and say, I think the SNES is pretty ugly. I always thought it was kind of ugly. The NES is where it's at. That's the spirit. What about Mario Paint? <laughs> Looks like NES Classic um, completed listings are going for her between two hundred and oh, two hundred and fifty dollars. Wow, that's ridiculous. Yeah, horrible. Amazing. It's it's well worth your time to find a original one and just and just and blow on the cartridges. It'll be fine. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, well, or you can spend that money and invest in an Amazon Echo Show. I'm so excited about this. Kishore is clapping because Why? it's arriving. I'm... Ours is arriving today. Yeah. Hopefully after the podcast. It'll be, it'll be in a box outside outside this room. Not just walk. that. I think it was a podcast. It must have been like two, three months ago where Norm just rambling is like, wouldn't these be better with a screen on it or something or like a projection? Well, we've talked about and, this for yeah, years. For a, yeah, long, exactly. for a long time. The display it, is essential. It's going to be essential. Next step. Logical and, next step. And then I initially I was very resistant to that for some reason and then it sunk in i'm like yes i want this i want this so badly Hmm. so i'm excited i'm excited to be able to to watch like 
YouTube and Amazon video and whatever in the kitchen and well, here's a display recipes and right. display the timer and blah, blah, blah. Reviewers have the, uh, the Echo Show already. Reviews are out. Okay. And one of the big complaints about it is the screen. Is the screen is low resolution. Oh, is, I wasn't expecting much. It's 1024 by 600. So it's not even Ooh, 720. It's wow. like the same as one of the, uh, a bare bones Kindle. Uh, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> the room I thought when you I, said low I, resolution, I thought you were going to say it's 720. I'm back, and like 720 I'm back to 6.5. I've gone down. <laughs> no. um, but I don't know how video is going to look. I'm really curious about the camera. Uh, I, I'm really curious about what the, uh, the social implications of being able to dial someone having this in the kitchen and make phone calls. But I don't know how many people have Echo shows. Like, none, no one in my family is going to have it. Kishore <laughs> is going to have one. I'm we're going to call each other. Call Kishore nonstop. Are you going to whitelist each other for automatic pass-through? Oh. So you, you don't have to answer? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I might as well, because no one else I know has has it, right? So <laughs> it's going to be Kishore anyway. Like He's the only one that's going to be dialing me. I'm going to have one. Okay, you're gonna have one. Oh, all right, all right, all three right. way. Okay, three way call. <laughs> you can't do three way calls. Oh, it's one than one. What a what a wasted opportunity. Huh? Yet you can't do three way calls. Yet. yet I actually um it, beyond all of this kind of stuff, I want to make sure um that they also don't go backwards on what I think the the um, the echo is always so good at, and that the microphone array has been great, and so wonder if this new sort of factor is going to change how effective that array is i would think not yeah but that's one thing i'm going to keep a close eye on because there's now a front yeah right? there exactly. was there was never a front to the device and i don't think that this is the device because of the design of it it's not a device you put in the center of mm. a room it is something you put against a counter against a wall where are you putting uh, yours um at the end of an island yeah, uh, kitchen though. yeah kitchen yeah kitchen's yeah. where mine's going yeah i think that's the uh, number one next, place next to the sense. fruit bowl Next to the avocados. Oh. Yeah. You know, have some conversations with some fruit flies. Can this thing do everything that the one that goes in your dressing room can do? Judge you? Yeah. I don't think it does that. Because it has a camera. It, I, we'll if find it, out. Yeah. If it does we'll, that, I'm going to return. <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, really curious. We'll be covering it, of course, on the site. Um, now, this next story... We're all, oh, how many people? We're all, only one of us here is using a Windows computer. Uh, Windows 10. Now, this is how big of news is this? Windows 10. Apparently, some of its source code was leaked. Yeah, it's not good. Uh, it's not good for hacking reasons, um, especially given all of the ransomware that just happened this past week too. Uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not happy about it. So specifically, this is uh, Microsoft part of Microsoft's shared source kit, which is code that it sends. Um, to some of its partners, right? Um, and uh, it includes uh, source code to the base Windows 10 hardware drivers, plus its USB Wi-Fi stack, storage drivers, and uh, some of its server code. Um, when will we know if this has implications to Windows users? Will we, like, it, until an attack happens? I do not know, man. Until I get home later tonight and I can't use my computer? I mean, I guess there's a the silver lining is maybe it'll be um, improved to some degree if anybody who re- finds bugs actually reports them rather than abuses them. You know, it's almost it, a, sort of like open sourcing. 
You know, another twist on that ransomware thing that you just brought up is so a, a couple years ago when we first started hearing about ransomware in a big way, like hospital systems were attacked, the FBI's policy here in the U.S. was to encourage people just to pay. Is that right? Yeah. And that's they've gone undergone a big shift in that policy because people that paid didn't necessarily get their data returned to them. Hmm. And uh, in often cases, it was less than 50%. I think I, I heard a figure like closer to 30 or 40%. And so now there's like new strategies being deployed on what to do. Wait, the yeah, FBI right. said don't pay anymore because paying wasn't working? To f- I mean, that. I don't know if that's the logic that was em- employed. Huh. It, like, I don't know if those two things are related, but I, I, I'm sure it's a factor. Yeah. Now I'm scared to go home <laughs> and check my Windows machine. Updating Windows. Well, Restart. dude, I just, I just uh, got the creative update. I just Creator, did that too. Creators update. And yeah. uh, it's yeah. just like two things changed that had bugged the hell out of me, I, and I had to fix both of them. I spent like a half an hour doing it. One, like, um, for whatever reason, Chrome is just constantly sending, automatically sending Windows updates, and I had to figure out how to turn that off. So I was getting Windows notifications without saying do this. But more importantly, I use Open Command Prompt here all the time. That's when you open up a folder, you shift, right-click, and you can choose open a command prompt here. And you get a little, you know, uh, DOS prompt. And mm-hmm. I, I do that all the time for various reasons. They took that out. It's wow. gone. Like, it was used to be enabled by, like, some power tool. Now it's gone. You open, like, some PowerShell, which doesn't do any of the same stuff. And I had to hack the registry in order to get it to come back. And I had to find Not th- serving creators. three different tutorials to actually help me do it. I think... Why did they do that? I, I thought it was ransomware. I thought Microsoft wanted me to pay 10 bucks to get it back. That's what it felt like. Just to get a DOS prompt. Yeah, I don't know why. They, they want, a shortcut. They're pushing you towards this PowerShell that, they've, that they brought out like a, de- ten, like a decade ago. But you can, you can open the command prompt anywhere with just CMD. Yeah, but then you have to cho- change directory. The, uh, the benefit of uh, opening command opens prompt up in, so right in that folder. In Windows Explorer. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And when you're doing microcontroller development, like you do, yeah. you do this all the time. Yeah. So I don't know. Wow. All right. Send that feedback note to Redmond. Done. Have someone, someone on it. Uh, a little bit of good news for um, for privacy nuts. I know Jeremy, you're not one. As long as you're getting the good ads, <laughs> no, we, our <laughs> blinds are open. <laughs> uh, Google uh, no longer will be scanning your email, your Gmail, for ads. Now, if this is news to you, hey. Guess what? Google has been scanning all the messages. A computer has been reading all of your mail to pick out keywords to yeah. post those ads that you see at the top of your Gmail. Now, the good news for everyone is that I don't know anyone who's actually clicked on an ad in Gmail ever. Those are the most, some of the most least effective ads That's probably ever. why this has been discontinued. Yeah, but now they're going to use your search data. Yeah. They're going to use the things that explicitly – that not – I mean – it. Part of me thinks like it was kind of an irrational fear because no one was actually, no physical person was reading. It was all just keyword picking up. But also the fact that they would be parsing through email for any purpose and creating some type of database of uh, for for ad matching or for anything, that's what people were freaked out about. Yeah. Were they previously doing search data as well? Or is that? Of course. Yeah. Oh, then, yeah. Okay. So that's, yeah. that's not- but the search data was going to be for search ads. 
I mean, they're still going to be scanning your email for like indexing and virus scanning and all the like all that contextually aware stuff. I'm sure for assistant, it's going to be uh, doing that in the future. So all that still remains. I don't think it solves privacy concerns about Google scanning your thing. It's just less creepy now. I have to say, so I had this experience. I've always had the, um, I've known how incredibly tracked my internet um, searching, especially my shopping history. The other day I bought a backpack for my kid online and I swear I didn't, I had Facebook open and I didn't reload the page and I went over and there were already ads for backpacks yeah. on, on Facebook. That creeped me out because I'm like, I didn't even reload the page. How did it dynamically do this? M- maybe I'm misremembering, but um, that ecosystem, the ecosystem sharing is actually where my privacy concerns exist, not within oh. like Gmail doing it yeah. itself. I don't, I don't mind that at all. I, I feel like mm-hmm. if, if it's targeted advertising, it's something that I actually was searching for. Great. I just wish they would actually know when I bought something so they'd stop it. Cause I'm constantly getting, yeah, this is true. you know, advertisements for things that I just purchased. I don't need mm. it anymore. Mm. Did you see VidCon was this weekend? Yes. So Have you ever gone? I, I haven't. And I don't know. I mean, yes, we make videos on YouTube and you can call us YouTubers, but I don't know if we would elicit the same response at all. Like we're not the same category as these, uh, these famous YouTubers uh, who... Teenagers wouldn't no, no, chase no. you down in a fountain, well, Norm? Y- y- 100% they wouldn't. Uh, terrified <laughs> if they did. Uh, but I mean, there are people doing some fantastic videos, uh, but like the YouTube community, people of creator community is so big right now. I don't know if this um, would, like, we'd get the same value out of it. But I, I know there are interesting panels. I know a lot of people we know um, who work at uh, Seeker, for example, went. And uh, I heard some reports that it was very different tonally this year. So yeah. VidCon uh, is created by the the Vlog Brothers, right? The Green Brothers, um, <laughs> Hank and John Green. And it was going to be, it was a place that was, that where fans, YouTube fans can meet the people who make their videos, favorite videos, and creators can meet yeah. each other and make, do um, collabs. And, and um, then it turned more into an industry conference, if you will, with that component of fandom right. to follow it because there There's was all, all this... All these people from the industry were in one place. Right, and and YouTube makes announcements at VidCon about product releases, which is interesting to us, absolutely. Uh, but from just from that fan interaction standpoint, I heard that this year they really didn't allow the interactions to happen for safety reasons. So yeah. the, there, I mean, there were still like dramatic happenings and, and whatnot and some, um, you know, there's always some drama at VidCon, but... Yeah, I I heard it was it was toned down, and I also heard industry has toned it down. So not as many sort of like executives are showing up anymore because they're just not getting the the kind of return. The big announcements aren't being made anymore. That being said, there were a few announcements, and we're going to get to one of them in the in the VR minute soon. No. Um, but but there's a, a couple to note. So Verizon, who like I guess is still buying Yahoo. I haven't heard the status of that deal but that's still going through they announced a new deal with um warner brothers owned channels um which is like machinima and blue ribbon and a few others so um it seems like with the yahoo ad verizon's making a much bigger play into more refined content um youtube has a vr announcement that we'll get to um they announced a larger rollout of YouTube TV. It's going to, I think, another 15 to 20 different markets. So feature-wise hasn't changed. It's now just expanding. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started to sour on it a little bit. Uh, Are honestly. you still subscribing? Yeah. Um, but the other thing is they 
they announced so many more YouTube Red original content uh so it seems like they're like youtube's much more is moving that way rather than just being a platform for creators actually being a destination um for original um produced content so i i thought those were two interesting things i I, the other thing that i've heard is that um there wasn't that much out of facebook and you would think Mm. given all their investments in video over the last years we'd see a lot more from Facebook out of, you know, at a conference like this. Well, the 180 video thing I think is interesting, and that's a thing we're going to get to that. I think. That yeah. So, do you want to talk about it now, or should we? Save let's that do for, VR minute. That's we'll VR save minute. it for the VR VR minute. Um, I still would love to one day go to VidCon. I don't know if it's too big of a convention now. It's too late. We've missed the VidCon boat. How many people um, go attend VidCon? Tens of thousands. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It, and I, you know, there's every. Every year I see the list of panels and there's some really interesting ones and obviously interested at, um, in the science and education panels, which is big on YouTube and they have some pretty in-depth discussions. Uh, I'm less interested in the fan aspect, more interested in like that industry because you don't like that's I think there's a lot of people doing very interesting under the radar content on YouTube mm-hmm. and like that's the place where you can learn from them potentially like you talk about that Antarctic trip, that Arctic trip last year, right. as a place where you got to actually meet these people and learn a lot from them. Yeah, and a lot so. of them are very successful. I mean, I think it's tough to comprehend how big of a network YouTube is, and how many little pockets and niches there are, um, and how many people are creating really great videos without a, a big subscriber base. And I don't know if VidCon is the place that you get, it's, it's like the cream of the crop, the, the, the best people show up there, but I don't know what the best menu is to, to, for these creators to really have a best interaction. Like maybe, it's, maybe it's online. Maybe it's through YouTube. Maybe it's through YouTube's uptime. What's uptime? So um, this that felt like a joke. <laughs> felt like a knock 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 joke. What's up, dog? What's up, time? What's up, time? Uh, uptime was an experimental app that YouTube launched uh, earlier this year out of um, Google's internal incubator. They have a um, their non moonshops incubator uh, called Area One Twenty, and it was an app that they did to allow people to watch YouTube videos together, and and then. Like in what do you small mean, like communities sync? in syncs together. Oh, so like we could watch a YouTube video together in three different locations? Yeah. So it becomes, it's almost like uh, Facebook Live where people send their little emojis across the stream for a video as they're watching Facebook Live, except not for live video, except for uh, on-demand um, video, uh, YouTube video. Um, so it's an app. It's an app, and uh, it launched earlier this year, um, and now it's uh, now they've taken out of the experimental section, and so uh, I think you can you can try it. I'm I'm curious. You guys want to try? Is it only on Android? Um, I am not sure. Uh, no, it says on the no. iOS. App iOS, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, well, have fun. I mean, I guess that's weird. That uptime, a thing that's natively about YouTube doesn't exist on Android. Well, I, I think the bigger question is, is there a benefit to watching YouTube? Do people want to watch video, not live video, but video on demand at the same time? Like Netflix. For Netflix has that same app 
out. Uh, they they didn't produce it, but somebody made it. Well, Microsoft did that shared yeah. Netflix experience thing where you can all sync up and you have your avatars and you watch. And we've done, you know, big screen in VR where we've thrown up videos on screen. Um, but outside of the VR context where we have these social interactions, is there a sh- social benefit to watching a video at the same time? Like if, if I had a YouTube, a, I was if I was on a YouTube page and I wanted to, uh, there's a new movie trailer that came out and I wanted to watch it and at the same time you guys were watching it to get the same reactions and there was a link that could say share this with friends so when everyone presses ready, 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 they'll play, <laughs> like wouldn't that be beneficial? Or should I just watch the trailer and then send you the link and See, wait for you to watch I it? I don't know for something like trailer. Is trailer like enough of an oomph to it? Because I think Stranger Things, hell yeah for it. So I think it's like that deeper original content. And if that's where YouTube is going, then this can have a lot of value. Well, I think shorter form content makes a lot of sense because those are the places where people can pull up these services at any time, YouTube any time. It's not going to work if you're on your phone on a, a you know, on a bus while I'm on a computer while, you know, someone's at the office. Um, well, here's an idea. What if the tested member community synced up and watched this is only a test next week? On YouTube. At the same time. At the same time with uptime. I think no one will do that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's the kind of thing that uh, that sounds better than it actually is in practice. I mean, we always, I feel like that's one thing that we wanted from the internet from the beginning, is the ability to do things in sync with other people who weren't in the same room. Turntable.fm. And we got, right, like we got music and uh, and we got to a degree video, but just seems like the interest in doing asynchronous is so much better the the experience of doing async is so much better and you can still reflect on it you still comment it's like everyone can still share in that experience it just doesn't happen at the exact same time like i can imagine a long distance relationship maybe you have family across the country or a significant other doing a like a date like that might have appeal but at the same time i know lots of people who do that and they just agree to see a movie on the same night and then they have a phone call and talk about it afterward yeah. in their normal social like then they'll jump into right. a chat room in a vr session and then they'll talk about it because or the, a podcast who talks during a movie who, you know what respectful person actually does that anyway so i mean i guess the chatting is there but still i want to focus on the on the film it's not the chatting so much cuz it's more about like the emojis it's like yeah. sending up these instant reaction likes and dislikes right. and, Something I do like about Facebook Live is that any live video then becomes archived as a video on demand. And if you watch a video that was previously broadcast live on Facebook, you still get the feed of comments and responses um, in real time to when that video was yeah, originally aired. I like aired. that too. And that's, that's something I wish. Twitch does that, right? Um, if you rewatch a Twitch stream, there's, aren't the comments yes, in yes, sync? Yes, they are yeah. also in sync. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that, like, to. to for an asynchronous experience, that's how you can join in on a real-time experience. That's, the, I think, the appropriate merging of the two. Uh, one last bit of kind of tech news. If you haven't seen this video, enough, it's on, on the site now. Uh, but I, I dropped my camera again. <laughs> again? So I, I saw that video pop up in my notifications. I'm like, why is this video from last year playing? Well, one, we didn't make a video last year. Oh, I just remember the experience. This is a Mandala effect. (laughs) Oh, Tested's first Mandala effect. Wait, you had you Mandela Mandela effect. You you have a video of dropping the camera? No, 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 no. So I do remember when this happened though last year, and and Will remembers it as well. And it never and we never filmed it. We only talked about it on the podcast. This is Tested's first, and people in the comments thought they had seen it as well. So last year, 
what really happened was I got the Fighting Mark IV. I went to the cave to show it to Adam one day. And literally as I was walking into the cave, dropped the camera uh, and uh, smashed the lens filter. And then um, Adam uh, felt bad and then helped me remove the broken filter by taking the fil- lens to um, a bandsaw. And we talked about this on Still Untitled, but we never shot any video about it. Now, we did release a new video yesterday, two days ago now, uh, about the uh, about me dropping the camera again and, and Adam uh, doing the same thing and taking it to a bandsaw and trying a lens wrench. Uh, but people were like, oh, I, I th- this video is old. People, I, I remember seeing this. Huh. We never showed video. We never filmed it. It was never filmed. Why are you dropping your camera so much? I don't use a strap. There you go. Yeah. Use a strap. Yeah. I always use protection. I do like there's a... In the video, there's a picture of Norm in the back, in the corner of Adam's shop, just like hands to his face, just as the camera is going into the bandsaw. I did not want her to say anything Especially, while that was happening. Because Adam's done this before. You don't want him to get confident. Right? Exactly. <laughs> Overconfident. I was like, let's let it happen. He, The camera's rolling, which is like, then there's even more pressure to, to make it work. Yeah, uh, it was pretty amazing. All is well now. It was a $40 lens, but better to have to buy a new $40 lens than a new $1,700 camera uh, uh, camera lens. Yep. Is that it? I think that's it. Oh, you know, before we move on to our next segment, I want to thank the sponsor of this week's episode, and uh, that is Procurify. Uh, did you know that Facebook and Google reportedly paid close to $100 million in fake invoices for a period of two years? How could this possibly happen with two of the world's largest largest organizations? Well, invoicing and purchasing fraud plague companies of all sizes, and no one is immune to it. In fact, according to a 2016 Tungsten Network research, Report more than half of American businesses now see invoice fraud as their single biggest threat. So Procurify works with hundreds of companies across the world to track and control their spending. Whether you're a startup worried about your burn rate or a small company that wants a streamlined purchasing process or a mid-sized company that wants to end wasted spend, Procurify gives your teams an easy way to control organizational spend with features that help them make the right decisions when they need it. Get full visibility and control over your spending and transform your spend culture by signing up for a free five-day trial at Procurify.com slash test. Again, that's P-R-O-C-U-R-I-F-Y dot com slash test. And thank them for supporting this podcast. And thank you guys for listening. And now it's time for... Moment of science. All right. Super quick. Bio 101 oversimplified. So like DNA, all those letters in DNA basically are instructions to build proteins. And these proteins go do things. Wow. That was very incredibly accurate description of biology. But those proteins have certain shapes and they and they fold together in a really intricate pattern. And that folding has a process to it. Um, that can be very complicated, but it generally works well. And we have um, mechanisms to when that folding doesn't work right to sort of correct it. But every now and again, a protein, a certain type of protein called a prion or prion, uh, misfolds in a certain way that causes a cascading effect of misfolding 
across other proteins. This is what we in the business call real bad. <laughs> and so, um, like, there are certain diseases that are prion diseases that are these protein misfoldings that will cause massive damage in structures, like holes in your brain, visible holes in your brain. Well, currently, there is a disease that is infecting uh, a number of wildlife in the in the U.S., mostly like deer, called um, chronic wasting disease. And it's a prion protein misfolding disease where they're just they basically pick this up from the environment, this protein up from the environment. It pervades their system and they they die. There's no cure. And they're able to pass along this protein in like their urine and other ways. So other animals pick this up really quickly. It's very transmissible. But scientists have come up with a solution to this. The innovative solution is to burn those animals. <laughs> what? <laughs> Literally, there's no solution. They can't stop the misfolding. And so... Like they burn the corpses? They're going to quarantine the animals and burn them. It's okay. ac across 24 states right now. Wow. And they can't seem to come up with a mechanism to stop this. Carl Zimmer wrote an incredible article in the New York Times about this. But it's one of those like funny things. Like when we talk about sort of just folding as this really basic function of, of proteins, how much of a huge ramification it has when it gets out of control. How is it passed it, on? It's not a virus. It, it's like literally a molecule that's just out there. Wild. And if it gets into like another animal system like this, it will cause that, that misfolding. Mad cow disease is this, huh. is a prion disease. So that's why like the like quarantine is the only sort of treatment. It's very dystopian. It is. It's, it's terrifying. Um, Eggs. Okay. I, like, I like me some eggs. No, you don't. You hate hard-boiled eggs. I hate hard-boiled eggs. I, I do like eggs in almost any other form. Okay. So we're used to that chicken egg shape, that sort of teardrop, sort of ellipse-like shape. Don't tell me that's not natural. It is natural. Okay, good. <laughs> I thought you were gonna... But eggs come in a lot of different shapes and sizes. Some yep. are spherical. Some are more elongated. Um. A research group, and this is the cover story in Science this week, um, went to the Museum of Vertebrate Zoology, which is here in the Bay Area, and studied 1,400 different egg species and found the only variant between them is the how elliptical they are and how much of that asymmetry, that teardrop effect they have. And you were able to explain every bird species, uh, that every bird's um, egg shape that exists just from those two factors. So then they use this data to sort of plot, like, what's the evolutionary basis for egg shape? Because people have always come up with these crazy explanations for Wait, it. Hold so on. Like, let's, let's guess. This fun, fun pseudoscience speculation time. Why are eggs egg-shaped? <laughs> for uh, laying practicality. Uh, it's easier okay. to lay an egg-shaped egg. Mm -hmm. um, for hatching practicality. Mm. Mm. So one thing to note is that um, there was long hypothesized that the layer of the egg, the calcium outside of it, dictates the egg shape. That's not true. There's a membrane inside that actually dictates the shape more than anything else. This is that mm -hmm. weird membrane that you see when you peel a hard-boiled hard egg open. Yeah, Gross. if you actually want to see it um, 
put a chicken egg in a, a glass full of vinegar and wait a couple days and just sort of like rinse it off and you'll be able to see that membrane really clearly. Okay. Don't wait, eat that egg. The vinegar takes away the calcium. Mm-hmm. You can remove an eggshell, completely dissolve it in a vat of vinegar. Mm-hmm. So what do you get without cooking it? Yeah. So it's just like, here's your... You have to kind of like, there'll be some calcium salt that'll be on the surface that you have to kind of wipe that, away or rinse fine. off. That's funky. Yeah. Don't eat that. Don't egg. eat that. Yeah. Don't eat that. Um, there's been explanations of like egg shape um, so that they don't roll off, roll out of nests or roll off cliffs. Mm-hmm. But Jeremy, ding, ding, ding. It's all about pelvic shape and geometry. Yep. Wow. And, and so birds, uh, in order to like basically fit inside the egg in the most energy efficient way, um, have that sort of raindrop effect with the ellipse to sort of have their wings fo- uh, fold into that egg shape um, as efficiently as possible. And that explains how egg shapes are. Does this also explain eggheads? Uh, no. Uh, we have an anniversary coming up. I won't be here next week, but July... Oh, sorry, Jeremy, you're about to say Is there an ideal egg for strength? Like, because you can't squeeze an egg and break it. You know, that's the old trick when you're a mm. kid. You can't break an egg by squeezing it unless you're wearing a ring. Uh I wonder. Oh, I, don't I wonder this. what the shape is that provides the best strength. Hmm. I don't know. Okay, moving on. Um, I won't be here next week, but July fourth, two thousand twelve. Do you remember where you were? Two thousand twelve. Hold on. What? Five, five, years, five years, ago years ago. Next week. I don't know. Uh, uh, preparing. You for asked me the iPhone question, so Comic Con. I could probably look and find out um, <laughs> where I was. But uh, your diary in Geneva there was this symposium with a bunch of scientists that got into a room and they showed this chart, this kind of hockey stick curve that has little bump uh, at it. And that was the announcement of the discovery of the Higgs boson. Oh, yeah, it was right five years ago on July 4th, um, 2012. They had confirmed by smashing two protons together and watching the decay products of two tau, which are heavy electrons, decay further into muon and electron, they're able to infer uh, the existence of a Higgs boson, which is a st- elementary particle um, that is part of the standard model. And I say really specifically a Higgs boson because we don't know if there's just one or if there's multiple kinds of Higgs boson out there. But that was one of the most astounding and heralded physics discoveries of the century. They seem to be piling up these days. Um, that won Peter Higgs a Nobel Prize. Um, so happy anniversary, which coincides with our next episode of Science and Progress, which will be out today uh, when you're it, listening to this. Uh, maybe it's uh, check Monday morning. Okay, um, it'll be out soon. That yes. it documents our visit to CERN to look at some of the upgrades to the Large Hadron Collider. And finally, Jeremy, sure. I have my Watch This for Science. Ready? Yep. Uh, you can watch on my screen and react to it. Here's a snake. Oh, my God. Oh, no, no, no. No, I, no. That's wild. My recommendation of a <laughs> video for this. I clicked the link. It's on my screen, too. <laughs> my recommendation for you for this week is a GIF that shows a snake molting up close and personal. Yeah. Molting, shedding its former self. That's sped up, obviously, right? Uh, Not much, no. Really? No. That's... No, that's not sped up. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. The VR Minute. Virtual reality 
this week. Okay. Um, oh, uh, do you want to talk about Echo Arena? Uh, desperately. Let's talk about Echo Arena. Now, we're going to have an episode of projections out this week, hopefully, cross our fingers on Friday, where we're going to show some video and talk more in depth about Echo Arena. But uh, Lone Echo, a game coming out July 20th, had its open beta for its multiplayer free-to-play multiplayer mode Echo Arena this past weekend for three days, like 10 a.m. Friday to 6 p.m. on Sunday. Uh, It's a stress test of servers and matchmaking. It was really the first time that a lot of people had experienced its locomotion mechanic plus its zero-G gameplay. Um, So we've been waiting for this game. We've been waiting for this game since OC3. Yeah. Oculus Connect 3, which was a year, almost a year ago. Like, what? October. Yeah, okay, so nine months ago or so. So all three of us played. Not together, though. Not together. We never... You didn't have a choice of where to match. You just sort of matched into something. Because the open beta was a test of their matchmaking Mm -hmm. system. Yes. I only played a a couple matches just because I was on at a time when the server crashed. And so I just didn't have time to do it and... They managed to get through those, but it was unstable a lot this weekend. But let's talk about the actual experience. So the game, the structure of the the multiplayer puts you into a, a lobby, a shared lobby space first, uh, where you get acclimated to the gameplay rules and uh, you are in zero-G. You're, you're a robot in zero-G. And we've talked about Lonego where you have your uh, full body in the game floating around. Uh, you can grab anything. Uh, you can push off anything. Uh, there is... Um, uh, occlusion resistance to objects. You don't phase through things. You can pick up objects and you can bat objects around and you know get get a, a bat that you pick up stuck into uh, a wall or something. Um, but in terms of... And you can also fly around with thrusters on your hands. Uh, I had so much... I had fun in the multiplayer experience. I had a ridiculous amount of fun just floating around that zero G space station. Yeah, there's in the you mean the lobby? The lobby. Yeah. So I don't know how many people they allow in that maximum, but maybe ten, I don't know, mm-hmm. sixteen. Uh and the games are three V three, at least yeah. for this beta they were. And uh you're right. So in the in the lobby you could go into a battle room where you could practice throwing the disc into goals. You can go into another room which is a combat test where you could learn to punch. That's another mechanic is you can punch the enemies in game in order to make them release the disc. The whole game is based around throwing a disc into the opponent's side goal. And the lobby actually is built like a space station. You're like flying through yeah. corridors. You are going into other areas. They do a good thing where they um, have these barriers that you can pass through or grab onto. Uh, they just float out. You know, Then you can like grab onto surfaces that you can also pass through. Um the animations are incredible. Yeah, they look great. You mean the hand the animations? Hand animations. Yeah. yeah, particularly. Yeah, there's actually a, a really good uh, PDF. You can. It's a TED, oh, not TED talk. It's a, it's a talk that they did somewhere. Psygraph, Cy- maybe. You can download it from their website, readyatdawn.com, and uh, it talks about the animations of the hand and all the steps they put into that. And that's where they put most of their animation resources. Ma- it's magical. It's it's really great. It's not it's not prefab stuff it's like they are grasping geometry in the world no matter where you put your hand and it doesn't always like the position generally matches up to where your hand is but your fingers don't necessarily match up to where your fingers are but it ends up not mattering but it it actually it feels great (coughs) it feels really good 
because proprioception. Mm-hmm. You're holding, um, you know, your Oculus Touch controllers, and you're really, in terms of the grab mechanic, you're only using your middle finger for the grab button. And but looking at the in-game model, you could be grabbing the edge of a, a corner of a wall or a flat surface or the, the, the a ball or but it all just feels right because visually it looks right and even when you're grabbed onto an object as you rotate your body around the surface the hand animation shifts and changes yeah. to make that grab feel more logical how would you hold your hands when you're trying to punch people in the head what do you mean? You make a fist. You make a fist. Yeah, is that what? That's what I did too. That was sort of like natural. For you have me to. to do. You have to make a fist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the part I struggled with. I loved all of the hand animations, but coming to like switching over to the punch, I always struggled with. Maybe that's something I'll just acclimate to. So it was hard to do. I did, to I didn't, hit it right. I didn't find it. It was hard to do. I, sometimes I what I forgot to do often when I went was trying to grab the puck or i mean the disc or in surface was i would grab when i got there mm. when really there's this whole auto grab feature where if you just make a fist you will grab onto whatever mm-hmm. object your hand comes into you know contact with mm-hmm. that's the way to do it but there's so the game itself three on three uh orange and blue and uh this starts off with a joust so it's a countdown and then you're in these launch tubes and you hold onto the launch tube and then you launch out and you can fling yourself off that launch tube to go faster than your thrusters would normally be able to take you. Yep. But if, you, if you're organized, your team can grab on to you, and then they go that fast as well. Then they can fling off you and double the speed again. And then a third time if, if the third person, if you're all in line doing the same thing. That's, I think, another brilliant design decision. They made you and other points interactive so you can grab other people. Yeah. Um, and I can grab your face, I can grab an enemy's face, and it just becomes another surface in the world. And one of the reasons they were able to do this is you can only grab with one hand at a time. You can't grab on two hands, right. and then because then it wouldn't work. Then you would ghost away from your, your hand model. You can hold a disc and grab a person, though. And yes. that's the only way to go faster. If you're holding the disc, you're, act, you're slower than everybody else. Right, you can't, you can't turbo. Right, you can't boost. You can only go, I think, 4.65 meters a second. Um, it's astounding how comfortable this game is um, for how fast-paced and how spatially aware you have to be. Um, everyone I was talking to, you're using voice comms the whole time, uh, was talking, remarking about how n- you wouldn't get any nausea because they're not doing any rotation. Uh, comfortable not, but tiring, though. Yes, it is. It's a physically exerting game, and I'm like swinging my hands wildly trying to grab services. I think there were more casualties posted to Reddit than any other game in terms of broken objects in the room, yeah, or controllers or ceilings. I, you feel really immersed. It's it's maybe the best locomotion mechanic I've seen in a VR game. Um, it also makes me think that this would work outside of zero G. I was I wanted with the grabbing mechanic, like, I wanted like the Spider Man game. Hmm. You know, you know, grabbing on onto a wall, climbing, and then bouncing off, yeah. and, and then grabbing on, on other things. Well, the climby does that. Climby does that, but I want like the superpower. What What about adjusting the gravity level? Yeah, I mean, they they could do could all sorts of things. Right? I wonder if adding gravity to this would affect nausea, though, because I think part of the the uh, part of what makes this game so comfortable is the fact that you're going in a straight line. And you're not, there's no parabola. Like, you're not generally falling down and giving you a sense of different motion than a straight line. And there's conservation of momentum. Yeah. When you're floating, you're just, you're floating until you grab something else. And then you grab something, and then you're one-to-one. Like, you grab a wall or what have you, and you move around. You're you're going just as fast as your hand is. Mm -hmm. 
And yep. for whatever, like that's not nauseating, but mm -hmm. then they never allow you to yaw. You can, you can spin either in real world or with an analog stick, there's snap turning. Uh, but I, I think that this game is phenomenal in terms of giving you a wonderful sense of motion without creating a sense of nausea. And the, the game itself, the multiplayer game itself, felt competitive. At, by the end of three days, uh, people were really good or at not. the game. And or, that, that was difficult. Like There's a huge skill delta even by the end of this weekend. Yeah, and I, I played with uh, one of the final matches with two people who were just had, they had it down. And yeah. I just played goalie because I couldn't keep up. Uh, but it was very satisfying to play goalie to catch a disc in the air and toss it out. And mm -hmm. uh, no. a lot of people are c comparing it to Rocket League. Yeah, that's exactly how it feels. And so I imagine there's going to be tactics, like defensive tactics, quite that a start, lot. Little, show up. Little things like you can grab your opponent, and like I said, your boosters can only get you up to about five meters a second. But if you grab an opponent and or one of your teammates and fling yourself off of him mm -hmm. or her, you can go much faster. So when you when you grab onto opponent, you have a choice between using them to gain, to gain velocity or hit them in the head. You yeah. can't do both because hitting them stops them. Right. So that's a, you have to make that decision. And I can I love reaching out to an opponent, and they don't they have to be situational aware. You have to be situational aware, know where everyone else around you. I can grab the, their feet, yeah. and basically climb up their body to smack them in the head. Yeah, that was the only thing that I wish. I mean, it's not possible, but I got. I got punched in the head a couple times where somebody did that, uh, but I couldn't tell they were there. There's a sound, but it's very subtle. A lot yeah. of people are requesting a tweak to that. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, there are so many possibilities. I'm sure they've tested a lot of different power-up abilities or things to neutralize people. Like, And, and there's just endless... I think the, the important thing was getting the movement and the, yeah. the physics down, and they got that. And the, yes, the game they've made is you know is competitive and fun, and who knows how how uh, how many legs they'll have once it comes out later in June, July. Um, but it really gives me hope for like this to be the start of new, a new genre of VR games, yeah, zero G VR games. I agree. I think this is a mechanic that is going to be a template. It works so well that I wouldn't be surprised if, in the same way that we saw you know, Doom become the template for first-person shooters or Quake, where, you know, whether it be Duke Nukem or Call of Duty, like, they all follow this archetype. I, wouldn't, if, I wonder if Zero-G won't be that archetype for VR. The metaverse in Zero-G. It's just one, it's space stations and space stations. Because people don't like teleportation. They want smooth movement, but they don't want to throw up. And this seems to be a solution to that. Right. Again, you can't flip upside down. You, can. real, you, you can't. There, you, can, you have to turn on the options. Yes, you, you have, but like by default, everyone is still right. up. Is always going to be up for everyone, right? Um, and of course, in space, there is no up. Up is just relative to you. Yeah, yeah. I I loved it. I can't wait for the actual gameplay, like the single player, like the single player campaign. Single player. Yeah, I mean, we played a little bit of that at OC three, and it's mm -hmm. you know it's the same movement mechanic, mm -hmm. and that's what counts. And it's a cool environment, space station stuff. But I imagine they're going to. Um, like train you to exploit some of these things that that you're we've talked about that are happening in arena that you're going to have to do in the context of a campaign. I think it'll be great. I don't know. For me, I feel like the campaign's going to be cool, but the this multiplayer game is oh, where, there's where, no question the multiplayer is where it's at. Especially like the only thing that was lacking for me, and I think I mentioned this to you on Twitter, is that um, I really want to be able to match with my friends yeah. and play as a as a team. Yeah, and you that's know coming. that's going to come. And you can there have also be a spectator mode. Yeah, you can have. There's gonna be five v five, and I think they'll allow just as many spectators in those games. Yeah, I, 
Can't wait. Me wow. too, man. July 20th. Coming out soon. I, I've, I've been on the Discord channel every day just because that's all I can do. Like, I just want to... And the developers are up there, by the way. Like, yeah. And they were in-game chatting with people, giving them tips. Oh, I play with some developers. They're, one, They're not, really good. Yeah, they are really good. But it's also nice of them to hang out and, you know, foster the community. No, they should be proud of their game. Um, little sad news. Um, Cast AR, which used to be Technical Illusions, is... Um, uh, Jerry Ellsworth's game, uh, company yeah. um, that she started after leaving Valve uh, with Rick Johnson uh, has reportedly shut down. Well, it, it was a Valve project that they were started at Valve, and it was this augmented reality thing where you wear glasses that can um, that project an image right. that is reflected back from a reflective surface. Very novel way of doing AR, as opposed to the lenses that you're using being uh, that you're wearing having the image imposed on the lens they are projecting outward and bouncing light perfectly back into your eyes using the same material that, that's used to make stop signs that only reflects light back to the in center. one direction right exactly. yeah so no you don't it's almost the same amount of brightness uh it doesn't bleed out in any other direction but that means two people can use the same surface and get As different images people. Yeah. right so we i think we both backed the kickstarter i didn't um, i will i backed the kickstarter and uh they when they got funded, they got VC, 10, 15 million dollars worth of VC. The Kickstarter was quite successful. It was like a one million dollar Kickstarter. They refunded everyone on the Kickstarter. So, yes, they've gone under, but all the backers got their money back. Right. It's um, just unfortunate because it was a really novel take. I think their eventual, they needed to create the software. Most recently, they had teamed up with some ex Disney Infinity employees to create demos and games. And the idea is that maybe they would sell a kit that would have one or two pairs of glasses with these projectors um, in a better industrial design form factor. And then also a surface. You think of this being like a game board yeah. that then you could play uh, like a D&D &D or like a third person action game and you could have multiplayer on that. Um, you know, they demoed it at Maker Faire a couple of years ago yeah, and it worked really that. well in a dark room. It's one of those things that because of the projection surface and the projection mm -hmm. pico, pico projectors, you have to play it in, in dark areas. Um, and it was no easy feat to get this tech developed, but I don't know what happened. Yeah, that's too bad. I mean, maybe there was just so much momentum towards other approaches to AR. You know? I mean, Jerry's kind of confirmed it on Twitter. She said there were some unexpected ongoings. Um, so mm. she's good people. I hope you... Maybe you can get her on um, projection sometime soon. She's extraordinary. Yeah, that would be great to, to have her chat about that that experience and, and the lessons they learned. Um, and yeah. a fellow pinball operator. Oh, oh really? Yeah, she has a massive collection. Hmm. Uh, and then finally, uh, going back to VidCon and what YouTube announced there, they announced uh, VR 180. Now, this is video, not 360 video cut in half, essentially. Uh, but based on the, right now, you can watch YouTube in uh, with Daydream and in, in with a, a VR headset, and you can watch 360 video. Uh, but we knew this, they were tracking what everyone's looking at. Facebook does the same with 360 video on Facebook. And based on their studies, um, they said the vast majority of people who view that video, even in headsets, view it mostly from the front perspective. And so to make the issue of stitching and, and uh, the workflow of post-production easier, they're creating a new format, which is they're calling VR 180. Specifically, people creating content, designing content around just 180 degrees in front of you, uh, from camera systems to stereo systems. Um, what do you guys think about this? Uh, so I I get it. I mean, it it makes sense. It should make life for creators easier. I still haven't had 
that killer experience in the medium, even like 360 or otherwise, that would say, yeah, I'm super excited about 180, the ability to look around, because I still have to like click and drag for the most part. Well, that's not for people who are clicking and dragging. It's yeah. for people who are wearing headsets. I, um, yeah, the good no, side. No, but even in headsets, it's not like, it's not You're seamless. not clicking and dragging it. No, no, I'm saying like the turning my head, there's a lag usually with, with Daydream or, or oh, others. Well, it's yeah. not as seamless as with the, the full-featured headsets. I mean, the, the good thing is you get all that resolution compressed into half the space. Right. So as opposed to being two circles, if you flatten out a 4K video, right. uh, you typically have like two spheres, you know, one for front and one for back, a lot of wasted space. Um, it's, it's distorted. Some parts of the image are less clear than others. Uh, and also the constraint of filming in 360, I think it puts a burden on filmmakers right now to not think about what it means to have a wider palette, uh, a wider canvas, uh, but not necessarily need to fill what's behind you. Yeah, but until they allow or find a way to provide some amount of um, 3D positional movement within the, a 3D video or you know a 180 video or anything like that, even light positional movement. Yes, I mean honestly, just a few inches. I mean it's just enough to do, make my head move like this. Isn't that a matter of just the player? The player itself could track. I mean that's, that's once the headsets track position, the mobile headsets track position. Yeah, the player itself can give you a little bit of drift and and float the player within, you know, give, give you a little bit of cushioning. I, I mean, I think there's probably some magic to making it look convincing, but... Like I, a little bit of stereo. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's that's what I want. When we first saw... It wasn't Tango, was it? When we first saw Google's um, array of GoPros... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it, it, the Odyssey, yeah. It, it, almost, it seemed to imply they could do that because there, there was a, a little bit of video where they were showing moving back and forth and mm-hmm. deducing depth and even geometry in the scene. You're talking parallax in, in Exactly, video. that's it. I want that. Like when when we have that and it's just everybody's doing it, then that I think video will become a lot more compelling. I was interested in the fact that they also announced there'll be VR or these uh, 180 cameras that come out this winter. Um, and there will be two lenses on it. And so we can see like, I mean, that would may- be stereo. That would be stereo. But maybe also that means like the dual cameras we're seeing on phones will be able to get to the point where it can produce this content, you know, a year or two from now. Yeah. Um, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I, I think filmmakers, especially documentary filmmakers, being I mean, having 360 is great for some things, uh, but you're, you're kind of locked into how, what you can film if you want to, if you're always filming the back and otherwise you're blocking people, you know. Um, anyway, uh, that's it for the VR Minute. Um, let's get to... Our last segment. Testing this week. Hey, what have you guys been testing? Well, besides Windows Creators <laughs> Update, um, Same here. I, I did install the iOS update. The iOS 11 beta. iOS 11 public beta went live, I guess, late last week. Okay. Or maybe earlier this week. Yeah, earlier this week. And uh, you know what? I the, the I I really, I, I can do without testing betas these days. I'm happy to wait. But I really wanted one feature, and it's one that I don't think most people are talking about. And it's this, I use the invert colors all the time. Which is an accessibility option, so that you turn, you just everything gets reversed. And if I'm browsing the web, laying in bed at nighttime, and it's a white background, I'll 
triple tap. I have it set up to a shortcut. Turns everything black. And it's wonderful because it actually, you know, it's much easier on the eyes. But this new feature, I forget what they're calling it, but it, it actually keeps photos, most photos, normal. And so it doesn't invert every photo. So how does it decide what photos invert and what It's not invert? like that. And that was like it. So it works quite well in the News app, which is Apple's own app, which is, you know, maybe... Th- they, that's part of why they're meta tagged. This is a photo. Yeah. This is an important photo. Don't invert that. Right. And so, but it doesn't do it for everything. And so it's like, <laughs> so graphics it's, icons. It's a, so it's a beta and I'm hoping that that will be tweaked at, before the actual comes out. But it, when it works, it's great because that's the one bad thing about inverting colors. So, and that's, I'm, I'm enjoying that. I do like that feature. Yeah. Um, I'm not quite sure it, they've also seemed to have added, I don't have a 3d touch iPad mini, and they have enabled the ability to do some 3D touch type, type stuff without having it. So if you hold down an icon long enough, it will actually expand and pop up like the new control center mm, where it. you've got your uh, volume or your uh, brightness level. The, the terribly arranged control center. Right. So designer's you, nightmare. You press and hold that and it actually gets bigger and gives you the bigger one. So it's interesting that some people, they're allowing people to get, get access to these features without 3D touch. Well, that's because touch and hold is almost the same as the 3d touch yeah and um i'm still testing the surface pro don't call it the five it's just called the pro uh you know the more i think about it i I, i'm happy with the performance happy with battery life happy with the the pen now i don't have you guys uh have an ipad pencil Mm -mm. i mean just just try it for a second here it's as good i think on on the default windows draw a hot dog (laughs) not hot dog Um, i can't do that uh, I think it's just as good in OneNote and um, and their Sketchpad app mm-hmm. in terms of latency as the iPad Pencil. But once you get in the Photoshop, you do get the increased latency again. Um, nice. The uh, the thing I don't I'm, I'm not liking is that it's it's just it's just the same. They had an opportunity now that they have a Surface laptop and they have a, the Surface Book. They had an opportunity to make this either a bigger screen, a different form factor, do something different with it. And really, I know it's a little thinner, it's a little curved, curvier in the edges. Um, but the fact that they sell the pens separately now, and it's pretty expensive. If you want a good Core i5, 256 gigabyte version, uh, like thirteen hundred dollars. I think it's just it's it's lost its place because um, it's not still as good as like the new 10.5 inch iPad in terms of the refresh rate and the pencil, the smoothness of the the stylus throughout all the programs. Um, but if you wanted just a good Windows PC, you could also use the Surface Book or the uh, the Surface Laptop. Um, you don't necessarily need the Surface Pro. Hmm. Yeah. Are you also testing the OnePlus 5 that you had here last week? Yes. Uh, swapping memory cards uh, in and out. It had a bunch of updates I needed to do to it, but uh, that's going to be a little bit of a long-term test. I have some beer for you guys to taste. Oh, yeah? Did you bring yeah. it? You brought it? I didn't bring it. Oh, okay. But I, Are you happy with it? Um, I don't know how I feel about you it. You said it was all right last week. Yeah. This is the Pico Brew. Yeah, I think I need Joey up here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get Joey back um, up here and do some beer tasting with the Pico Brew, Kishore's homebrew beer. Mm-hmm. And I think that does it for us this week. Um, What's coming up on Test It? Uh, well, uh, Sean uh, and Jeremy are shooting their newest episode of Bits to Atoms, and that's um, the next episode should be up in a couple weeks. Uh, next episode of Science in Progress up. Uh, we're just catching up on a bunch of stuff. Um, product reviews, of course, uh, and uh, some more laser cutting projects. I had some things I saw in my trip in Europe that I want to 
tackle and recreate with, hey, with our laser cutter. Just really quickly, did you get a delivery from uh, the Glowforge? Yeah. My Glowforge shipped and UPS lost it. Oh, <laughs> so sorry. What? I know. I got the crumb tray. Oh, it's nice. a wonderful crumb tray. Oh, I bet you it's beautiful. Uh, but yeah, no, they seem to have found it this morning. It was supposed to be delivered Monday. Is now Wednesday, and they're, now they're saying it'll be here Thursday. Next uh, Thursday? No, 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 like tomorrow. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm like, you have old July 4th weekend that you could be <laughs> laser cutting. Yeah. It's the most American thing, most patriotic thing to be doing. I, my first project is going to be an Echo Arena light up thing, just to pass the time. Wait, you're making a disc? No, I would like to make a disc. I was just going to make the logo like light up in a little, oh, little like light a, like, Okay. Yeah. Wow, you're, you're making fan art already? Uh, I'm like into the game. I oh, am wow. Oh, wow. Jerry's <laughs> making fan art for a game that's not out yet. Yep. Wow. <laughs> I'll be in uh, London and Paris next week. So all those people that are talking about the UK tested meetup, let's do it. <laughs> all right. Wait, where? I don't know. There are comments on the... Um, okay. You guys shoot the... London or Paris? I think London. London, yeah. Get, some, right. get some beers. All right. Do we have an outro this week? Hi there. I didn't see you. Test it. Blah, blah, blah. VR. Blah, blah, blah. Perfect platform for vision, movie. Blah, blah, blah. Revenue tie-in. Blah, blah. I think that was Patrick. The views of Patrick Norton do not reflect those of <laughs> Tested.com or Tested.com team. We'll see you next week. Bye.